Yeah, we have a bit of a unique um, message today. Continuing on the series we've been doing on culture and how we position ourselves, understand ourselves, and step in as a community to the culture, understanding what it's doing to form us, the systems that are around us, and ultimately what we have access to in the community of those that are living heaven on earth by living the way of Jesus and practicing that in in the ways that he taught us to practice. Last week we started on solitude, which if you were like me until I studied solitude might have been the most yawn-inspiring concept I could ever imagine in my life as an extrovert. But I have been convicted by Jesus himself as I saw the theme of solitude. And as, as we've started to get into what rhythms of renewal and rhythms as believers look like, Solitude, we believe, is the key spiritual practice for those in a culture of absolute distraction. Everything is pulling on us to not just keep us focused on something else, but we have access to distraction like never before. We believe that the practice of silence and solitude is the way that we are reminded about how Jesus established a way of life that anchors you, sustains you, and allows you to be in the world but not of the world. And as we start with solitude and finish that concept out, I want us, we're not going to go through all the different spiritual practices. We're not going to do a whole long series on that. What we are going to do, however, is is encourage you, if you're going to start one practice in this decade, start with solitude. Start with solitude. And I love how Suzanne mentioned the reality that you're not allowed to convert people in Nepal. You know, we, we shouldn't be afraid as Christians if the government says we're not allowed to convert someone. Because the, the mission of conversion was never a part of the way the gospel flourished. The mission of conversion wasn't even part of the mission. It's, it's to love people And conversion happens when they encounter the person of Jesus. And so I think that sometimes our mindset should be something to the effect of, oh, good, conversion's illegal. That means all the Christians have to actually love people. (laughs) And so so we live in a free society that's overwhelming and overabundance of freedom that is the way of life that we have. But... Conversion is still a biblical concept, but here's the thing I want us to get today is that conversion is your message to yourself in solitude. Solitude reminds us of our own conversion continually. Conversion is for us. When the church lives with a constant revelation of our own conversion, we are equipped to love the way we were meant to love. And so my lovely wife is going to start out with a beautiful kind of extended quote and thought by the renowned Catholic, uh, Catholic priest Henry Nouwen. And, and this is going to kind of provide, again, a kind of a defining definition of, of solitude and what it is. Yes. This will sort of wrap up what we spoke on last week, the lonely place, which we're using the word solitude, but um, in Scripture... It's actually described as the lonely place where Jesus would often retreat to solitude, silence, or the lonely place. In sol- and this is, again, he said, um, Henry, Nouwen. Henry Nouwen from the book 
Lots of books. Lots of books. Yeah. <laughs> the secret play, I forget. Anyway, we have the book. And so we copy the page out. But it's highlighted and it's all scratched up on my desk. Um, in solitude, we can listen to the voice of the one who spoke to us before we could speak a word, who healed us before we could make any gesture to help, who set us free long before we could free others, and who loved us before we could love or give love to anyone. It is in this solitude we discover that being is more important than having, and that we are worth more than the result of our efforts. In solitude, we discover that our life is not a possession to be defended, but a gift to be shared. It's there we recognize that the healing words we speak are not just our own, but are given to us, and that the love we can express is a part of a greater love, and that the new life we bring forth is not a property to cling to, but a gift to be received. Solitude is the way in which we grow into the realization that when we are most alone, we are most loved by God. It's a quality of heart, an inner quality that helps us to accept our aloneness lovingly as a gift from God. In that place, our activities become activities done for others. And if we accept our aloneness as a gift from God, we convert it into deep solitude. Then, out of that solitude, we can reach out to other people. We can come together in community because we don't cling to one another out of loneliness. Amen. Yeah, so we've just been kind of rocked by this, this man, Henry Nouwen's perspective on the concept of solitude. And one of the things we shared last week was how we're all alone. That's not the problem. It's a fact. Our aloneness is a simple reminder that we're human and that we're each unique. And in our uniqueness, we are therefore alone because there's no one else quite like us. That is why the Lord gives a promise that he's with us. Because every person on earth at some point has to come face to face with the reality that in some way they are alone. He or she is alone. And the, the Christian mindset is is taking one of two decisions that a human being can make out of aloneness. And in aloneness, you can go one or two ways. The first is to loneliness, which operates out of woundedness. The second being, instead of woundedness, we actually embrace aloneness as a gift for the purposes that she just read. When you embrace your loneliness, uh, excuse me, your aloneness as a gift, and you don't, you don't embrace it as loneliness, you allow God to meet you in the solitude. And when he meets you in the solitude, all of a sudden, you, you start to, you, you unmask the things and the distortions of what being alone is to a culture that's operating out of its woundedness. And we are to be a people that even though we have wounds, we allow the place of of being alone with the Lord in solitude, to be a healing place, a gifted place, a processing place, and a beautiful place. Uh, there's, there's this reality that there's a false definition and a true definition of, of solitude that Nouwen gets into that we thought was quite profound. Ultimately, he says the false definition of solitude that the culture gives us is that we think of a time and a place that we're just unbothered by other humans. That's what solitude is. 
and, and that that's just the place we can be alone with our thoughts and process our frustrations. And it, it equates ultimately to just privacy. Solitude isn't just privacy. It's not just a place to recharge. The true definition of solitude is the place of our conversion. Because the place where the old self dies and the new self is born is ultimately where you enter into every time you get alone with the Lord in solitude. It's the place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. That is what transforming solitude looks like. This is where I get rid of my scaffolding, he calls it. But this is the scaffolding of our life is ultimately just the external coverings that we have. We all have all kinds of external coverings. It can be the facade we put on as, as part of our external identities that aren't really our true identity. It could be the way we carry ourselves on social media or the way we carry ourselves in our hobbies or our passions. Many of them can be good things, but the reality is, is that your phone, your friends, your meetings, your entertainment, your books, your distractions, none of them are anything but ultimately scaffolding and external realities that aren't our true self. And what we're being invited into is a place of confronting our own nothingness, which for us somewhat charismatic people is pretty dark. But I believe is you're only supposed to enter and confront your nothingness with the presence of the Spirit of God. When you enter that place of His presence and confront your nothingness, I believe that's when you go back to the garden and you start to restore everything that was taken in the curse. In Genesis 2, we're not going to get into a lot of scripture today like we did last week, but I do want to reference Genesis 2 and 3. And in Genesis 2, we, we learned that the man and woman were both naked and not ashamed. The key being not ashamed at the end of Genesis 2. If you go to Genesis 3, feel free to flip there if you're a visual learner. And in Genesis 3, we read starting in verse 7, after the fall, when they listen to the voice of the accuser and the liar that had the image of a serpent. Then the eyes of both, the man and woman, were opened, and they knew that they were, what? Naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. The presence was still there, they now hid out of shame. But the Lord God called to them and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because of my nakedness. So I hid. Fear and nakedness and shame. All being compromised where man is no longer in a trusted relationship with the creator that was all loving, all good, all powerful, and wanting to partner with man to bring about the purposes of heaven on earth. Eden being that place of a tabernacling dwelling place of heaven on earth. It was all compromised, and that picture is a picture of nakedness, shame, no trust. And the reason why I want to point that out is because when we confront our nothingness back in solitude, our nothingness is our nakedness. If you can just imagine for a moment what it really looks like for you to be completely vulnerable, completely naked, completely deprived of any scaffolding around you, 
and to let others in to see that. If you really enter into that, that might be the most commonly petrifying thought that the human race could all have together. I'm not talking about how confident you are in your body image. I'm talking about letting something completely see everything in all its glory of your entire soul and being without anything to cover you, to mask you. That's what happens in solitude. And this is why we want to run, we want to numb, we want to text, we want to distract. And on that note, I think it's time for a comedian to lighten the mood. So, we're going to have a little short clip that I ripped off from Bridgetown's church on Louis C.K. It has been um, filtered for your viewing and listening pleasure. And uh, let's just, yeah, after. We'll just enjoy, and then you'll take it from there. Wow. He just preached a sermon. He just needed some scripture, and there we go.
and uh, that was edited. You're welcome. Um, he had some other choice things to say. I also want to note that I'm well aware of his um, recent uh, place in the news as being someone who's contributed to uh, the Me Too movement, and so uh, we do not uh, 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 endorse him in any way, shape, or form, past, present, or future. But a, a comedian can oftentimes speak to the heart of where culture is at, and I think sometimes comedians are, are right now, I mean, I'm just even thinking of Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes. My goodness, is, are, they, are they sometimes speaking truth that where it needs to be spoken? Um, but on that note, it's interesting how I think there was an ongoing dialogue in his head. Do I stay here and be present with this feeling, these emotions, this aloneness? And, and there's, there's a voice. There's a voice. There was a voice in the garden, and there's a voice that we abide with, and there's always a choice of what voice we engage with. And that's what Sue's going to connect us to right now. Like, how do you go after a comedian with, like, something, like, kind of intense and heavy? But it was actually, this isn't part of my notes. But when you were saying, um, like, when we are almost like our nothingness and we go into this solitude place and you're almost, if it's true solitude, if, like, you're unable to hide, but you're, when you're in that place and you realize nothingness and pain can come up, I was actually remembering, it's kind of bizarre, but back to the first time that I was pregnant with our son. And... You were sleeping peacefully while I was enduring the most painful contractions of my life. And I was totally alone in this solitude. I was just getting ready, babe. Yeah, you just were just ready. preparing. Well, he almost even passed out, and I was like, sit down. You are fine. <laughs> just because he was like, fuck, i got to get ready, got to get ready. Uh, and literally, the nurse was like, are you okay? I was like, he's fine. I'm the one doing the work here. Um, <laughs> but in this solitary place, I remember I was in so much pain that I was like, if anything is hindering me, even a piece of clothing or a bathrobe, like I've gotta be totally vulnerable, totally seen, you and me, God, and I have to have these clothes off. And it didn't even make sense, but it was like this place of aloneness. I didn't want anything hindering the pain, because the pain I knew was beautiful onto an end. And so it's like, you think our clothes, like we're vulnerable, pe vulnerable people or we wouldn't wear clothes. Clothes are covering you. And it was almost like this place of complete aloneness or solitariness with me and God and the pain in my stomach and you sleeping in the bed. Um, <laughs> that I was like, God, it's me and you and I can't have anything hindering. Anyways, but I, okay, that's a whole story painting. When you're most alone, it's this beautiful thing, which he said is actually really beautiful to let sadness or pain come to the front because then it's God can actually meet you face to face and say, okay, I know you're going through this. I know you feel like you're literally walking through hell, but I'm with you in this moment, and you're not alone, and I'm not leaving, which is kind of the whole what happened with our first child. <laughs> um, but in looking at and just praying, processing, solitary place, I was like, God, what is that? We're talking about a lonely place. How would you describe it to me? Because I can read what Henry Nouwen said, but between you and I, and this is how he kind of broke it down to me. He said, a solitary place, it's a place where time and space cease to demand your attention. Where if you think, I'm a mother of four, there's always something demanding my attention. And if you don't have kids, you have a phone. And if you don't have a phone, you most likely have a computer in front of you. Or you have music in the background. Or you have outside being a city and car horns are going off. There's always a distraction at hand. 
And so he said, it's a time and a space where cease, it's a place where time and space cease to demand your attention, distractions fade into the background, and your heart can arise and hear the voice of the one who created you to live by his voice. And it's a place that is defined by the absence of chaos. So years ago, the Lord told me, he's like, you were created to bring order out of chaos. And so often, I think busyness can be described as chaotically running from one event to the next event. Even if you have, okay, your child's down for a nap, great, you got 30 minutes, let me go, and you're going, 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 but it's not this internal place of solitude or of peace, of rest. And if you guys think about it, in our culture, we gain revelation and experience in the context of busyness. We live in Pasadena where if I Googled it right now, this Friday, I could find some epic spiritual con- conference happening this Friday, and I could be like, oh, wait, but there's also well, the well happening at Pi Hop, or there's a worship night happening at Frontier. Oh, gosh, I don't know what to choose. Solitude is not even on my agenda to not choose an epic spiritual experience, and yet that very thing is taking away from God being our own experience. God being the one to do the transformation, and it's like we're leaning in on everyone else to learn for us, to be the experience for us, to bring the hype, to bring the good music, instead of just stopping and being still. So the psalmist, he said, be still and know that I am God. And this isn't a description of a church service. Right now, you guys are all kind of still But church service should be a celebration. It should be a testimony, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the joy of his presence. It should be, I think, scripturally exciting and inviting. But when he says, be still and know God, that's an invitation into an intimate, alone space where it's just between you and God. And then... Okay, so Psalm 46, what I just read, says, Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. And then Exodus 14, 14. I love when the Lord actually gives us keys for how he'll fight for us. He said, The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Which we don't think that. We think, I've got to fast. I've got to pray. I've got to war. I've got to worship. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. When I read that, it just kind of rocked me. So it's stopping this busyness. Stop. Just stop. And it's really hard, like he said, for extroverts. And if you're a two on the Enneagram, which I am, solitude is very hard. I go to solitude. I go with my books, my journals, my headphones, a backup pair in case those. And it's like, that's none of it. All of the different distractions are removed. And that's very... (laughs) For me, it's hard, but it's to stop and rediscover this place of of biblical meditation, not Eastern. Eastern is you're emptying your mind and you're just saying, fill me, whatever's out there, fill me. Like my mom is like, I love all the spirits. I'm like, well, I don't know about that, mom. Let's just work with the Holy Spirit. But he's the biggest, most powerful, so I'm okay with that. Um, But what West or biblical meditation is filling up your mind with what God has said. It's, whether it's scripture, whether it's his Logos word, like this very scripture, or his Rhema word, what he's now saying. But when we can get to that place where we're hearing what God has spoken over our lives, over our own personal identity, 
the world so quickly loses its allure because you're realizing why you were born. You're realizing the very reason that you're on this earth and it's the one who created you is, the re is giving you it. It's like your inner spirit is coming alive and you're like, why am I even looking to the right or to the left? Jesus, it's all about you. Um, oh, so I love this. In the Gospel of Luke, nine times, just the Gospel of Luke alone, Jesus goes to a solitary place. And like Christian said, if that was his source, how much more does it need to be ours? And it's so convicting for me because I don't live my life that way. I have a couple hours in the morning and then my day is very busy. And it's, we spoke last week, it's not a sense of worthiness. My mom will call on the phone, how are you doing? Yeah, I've been busy. Like I'm, I've accomplished a lot. No. Like we've got to break that lie in our culture if we want to be countercultural. Doing a lot does not mean that you're worth a lot. You're worth a lot because Jesus went to the cross and died for you. But, and then I'll wrap up, but um, what happens in the quiet, it sets you up for hearing in the busy. What happens in the quiet sets you up for hearing in the busy. It's literally setting the stage for unveiling something that's going to change the rest of your life. Living by his voice. I'm trying to decide how much to cut out because when you combine something, you're combining two messages and we have a panel, so I'm an external processor. Here you go. That's for free. You're getting some of that. <laughs> um, thanks, Jared. But, okay, so if what happens in the quiet, it sets you up. Like, what does that mean? That kind of sounds theoretically it sets you up for hearing in the busy. But if in the quiet you're carrying peace in the solitary place... When you get into circumstances that are then demanding of you, where it's like, oh, I just can't seem to get on top of things, or the tyranny of the urgent is going, but you're carrying an inner peace that you won with the Lord in the solitary place, that peace then trumps the circumstances, and the circumstances no longer dictate your inner world. Um, and it's just going to finish with this, but out of Ephesians 4, we've spoken on a lot, but it says we're seated in heavenly places. In Ephesians, there's three postures of outworking. It's you're sitting, you're walking, you're standing. But if you're seated, like we are now, it's a position to rest. But if I'm seated next to the right hand of the Father, who's right here speaking to my ear? So I'm a teacher. I do a lot of stick drawing, and I've told you guys this before. But if you're seated in heavenly places, imagine a little stick figure in heaven on the throne next to God's throne. And heavenly things are happening, the angels are there, the cloud of witnesses is worshiping. But if you're in heavenly places, imagine little stick figure legs going all the way down to earth and walking out what the Father is whispering into your head. But all of a sudden, you're no longer under, oh, I just can't get ahead of things, I can't get on top of it, because you're already sitting on top of it. If we are the bride of Christ and all like um, authority has been given to us, and our feet are over it, then what's under your feet? Everything that's coming against you. Every negative, every intense, every work of the enemy is under your feet. And your ears are hearing the voice of your father for what to do about that. No longer are you like, oh, I can't really breathe, I can't see. No, you're getting heaven's perspective and releasing that over earth. So I'll finish with this. But Martin Luther said at one point, I have so much to do. I shall, I shall simply spend the first three hours in prayer. 
<laughs> I have so much to do, I shall simply spend the first three hours in prayer. Awesome. Um, if we could get our panelists to come up, and uh, I think we had, how many did we have? Come on up, you guys that are planning to. And you can have a couple here, a couple here so we have access to the mics. So maybe two, do we have, is Jared coming? Where's Jared? Jared's there. Yeah. He's coming. Oh, just bring your baby. Yeah, good. So what we'll do, we'll, we'll just share the mics with you here. We want this to be kind of getting into some, some real life examples where you're starting to see kind of what solitude might look like in the lives of other real people. And, and this can be a practice that we start to do in five minute chunks, and it can also be five hours, five days. It could even be an extended season. But the reality is, is that there has to be some kind of practicing solitude for us to, to have this take effect. So let's start. I'll start with, with Tiffany. Give us a taste, Tiffany. Mention really quickly what your personality is and how that relates to, to how you even jump into the concept of doing solitude. Okay. I love people. Um, so I'm definitely an extrovert. But I've noticed since being a mom, there's so much need on me of people all the time that I've noticed I've become a little more introverted, which in the beginning of my mom life um, led me to burnout. But in the second half of my mom life, I'm only seven years in, so we're, we're okay. But in the last three years, I'd say, I got the feeling without solitude in my life, without choosing that, I, I'm going to dwindle away. So... I chose that. You have a question? Yes. I, want, I wanted to ask um, Hugh, your personality, how does it relate to you even approaching solitude? Well, um, I like people, but in doses. <laughs> uh, if you follow the Enneagram, I'm a five, so I'm a thinker. I'm an internal processor. So a lot of what I like to do is go close the door and look at the four walls quietly for a long time <laughs> and uh, read my Bible or read whatever and just think and think for uh, as, as long as I can until Jen says, hey, the spider or something. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, do you feel like it comes natural to do solitude or do you still have aspects you have to work at? It comes, it comes natural if, um, especially when I'm by myself, it, it really does. I can. <laughs> I think that goes for all of us. I could just. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the times I traveled to, uh, I lived in China, I, I lived in Spain. The times I traveled and I was around people, I would take time and just go away from them to, um, find somewhere to just sit. It didn't have to be the most beautiful place. A lot of times there was at ruins and I would just look, um, just be by myself uh, listening to air. And I enjoyed it. I really did. It sounds weird, but uh, it was daytime, so not <laughs> creepy. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Susie, do you have any, any practices that you have related to solitude that you think would be benefit to share? And especially in this season, of two young kids that are demanding, pulling on you, and it's not necessarily quiet in your home majority of the time. Yes, um, yeah, I'm a mom of two little kids. I have a toddler and a baby. So besides locking myself in the bathroom, which I can't really do. Um, I've done that yeah. many times. Why can you not do that? I've done that a lot. Yeah. 
lasts about five minutes. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because like yeah, motherhood is has been really taxing for me, and like the transition to motherhood has been mentally exhausting because I am an introvert and I love alone time. Um, so once a week, I have my mother-in-law come for a half day, and I just consecrate that time uh, for myself. And I'll be honest that sometimes that looks actually not like pure good solitude. Sometimes it's like me doing errands or whatever. Um, but one practice recently that Ryan and I have um, done is um, on, your, on your phone, there's a setting called downtime. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it totally powers off your apps. So honestly, motherhood is hard, but technology is probably my bigger distraction, to be honest. So um, yeah, like we power down our phones at 9 p.m. and it goes from 9 p.m. till 7 a.m. the next morning. And We've been doing it for a couple of weeks, and it's honestly made a huge difference in like the mental space that I feel like I have. So um, yeah, our marriage has gotten better. <laughs> Journaling has gotten better. Um, so yeah, I would recommend. What that was that app. app called again? Downtime. Take a note. Downtime app. Note to self: I'm writing that down. Yeah, amazing. Uh, Jared, you have kind of a unique testimony of how the Lord kind of discipled you in a place of solitude in your early glorious days encountering him afresh. You want to share a bit about that unique experience? And currently. Yeah, so this, uh, this whole word solitude is new to me. Uh, I just have always called it soaking or spending time with my papa. Uh, but I actually, uh, Father God introduced me to Holy Spirit. I got baptized in the fire of God when I was alone. And being a pastor's kid growing up in church, the first thing you think is I got to do, 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 and make up for all that I've messed up. And uh, the first thing Holy Spirit told me was, I want you to not get involved in church or ministry or anything for six months. And I just want you to spend time with me in your room. And I did. Uh, I didn't have a job at that time. I had lost it because of bad choices. Lost my license because of bad choices. I was living in my parents' basement when I encountered God uh, at 23 years old. And that six months was the most transformative, changing uh, experience I've ever had that laid a foundation uh, for the intimacy that I have with the Father. Not only that, but the breakthrough of seeing addictions broken and seeing things come alive in me. Uh, so that continued on for a lot of years. I spent a lot of time growing up. Uh, I'm one of 10 kids. So my house was really busy and crazy all the time. And we lived on property and I spent a lot of times out in the woods by myself, building forts, just doing stuff, hiking, dreaming about animals and stuff. So I, I see back all the way in my childhood how I naturally had a tendency uh, very outgoing. I, most people think I'm just a total extrovert, but I actually have a very introverted side uh, where I like to get away. And so Holy Spirit really taught me how to go to that place. Uh, and it's really, it's so much more transforming and empowering than we know. I mean, Chris and I, we met at Bethel School of Super, Supernatural Ministry. And you know, I hear people say things like, oh, well, they went to the School of Supernatural Ministry, so of course they have this down, or they've learned this, or this has happened because of where they've been. 
But the most powerful part of my time in Reading was sitting in a hammock by myself, where I spent as much time as possible in this little garden that I made in my backyard, just being with the Father. It impacted me, transformed me way more than Bill Johnson, more than Chris Valentin, more than all the revival groups I was a part of, all the worship. And the thing is, is we experience spiritual things around people, but we learn when we're alone with God. And things are deposited when we're alone with God. Uh, so learning how to choose uh, to go to something. Whenever you're, whenever you're trying to get away from something, that's been a big, like, uh, the Holy Spirit gave me that's really helpful. I'm trying to get away from something. Oh, I'm stressed. I'm frustrated. I, I got to figure out a solution for this. I got to get away. That's good. Go to God. But it's what you really want to do, the sweet spot, is when you're going to just for the purpose of being with. That's what Jesus did. And, you know, the, the scripture says he, he takes me to green pastures and he leads me beside still waters so he can restore my soul. And as a generous people, we give of ourselves. We give to our kids. We give to our friends, to our community. We give to our work. We give our mind. We give our will. We give our emotions. We're constantly giving out. And that place of stillness with the Father is where he restores what we've given and then we can overflow with more. And it's, it's really like elementary. It's really elementary. Uh, but we're st I'm still learning how to do it. You have to learn to do it in every season of life. Because what's become my first nature thing in the past, I am now have to relearn how to do with three kids. And it feels impossible sometimes. And sometimes I just, you know, dream of what once was. But I know, that, I know that God is calling, always calling us into what he's planned to be. Uh, so, yeah. Can you give these guys a round of applause? So good. Thank you so much. You guys can take your seats. And um, the worship team can start to make its way up as we, as we start to try to close. Um, if the worshipers are still in here, hopefully we have a team behind us. Uh, to, to try to wind this down, that was so, so exactly what I was hoping for, those beautiful people. But what happens in the solitude is we're, we're confronted with a challenge. We're confronted whether we're going to stay until the seductive visitors and voices stop pounding on the door with their, with their lies and agendas. And the reward if we stay in the solitude is when we stay, the wisdom of this desert and the confrontation with darkness and self forces me to surrender afresh to the person of Jesus. That's the reward, because it's a control issue, ultimately. Who has the control? The reward is because I surrender to him in the solitude. Jesus continually showed us that he went back to the Father because he was utterly dependent on the Father's presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to do every last thing of his ministry. And when I give up control to the one with the ability to overcome the darkness, I step into a light and a life that has been paid for and purchased that reminds me of my place of conversion. It continually brings me conviction of my need, and it gives me an opportunity for a declaration of what my worth is based on. Would you guys rise? <clears throat> We're going we're gonna to then kind of practice. I think we have a couple more, uh, just the slides at the very end that remind us how to address solitude. 
by, by setting the environment and praying. And Sue's going to lead us into that. Um, but as she does, I just feel to, to just put our hearts together before the Lord. Father, would you, would you show us whether this starts with five minutes or you take us into to six months in a hammock? Thank you that you are inspiring us towards a way of life that will sustain us in every season. In every season. We have access to what we need to not live in response to the system all around us. But to set the agenda, to set the system that we live from. And to live it with absolute conviction. Even when we feel weak, we know where we go for our strength. We thank you for that opportunity. Jesus, we do. We pray that we would be a company of people that our lives would be the lives that are present in this distracted day and age. That we're present to one another, yes, but first and foremost, we are present to you. And I just am reminded, Jesus, you were alone for 40 days and 40 nights. You went out and you, ha you launched your ministry. And I think in this day and age, we'd start a Facebook live feed. What did you do? And the disciples said, we, let's go. What are we doing? He said, I'm, let's go away to a lonely place. One day, and you were ready to come back and meet with your maker. Meet with your father. So right now, we're just going to pause. We're going to eliminate the distraction in our mind. This is kind of setting the environment, if you're wondering what we're doing. Second, check your emotions. How are you feeling? How's your heart? And then we're going to pray. Not me, but you to your Father. There's three types of prayers you can pursue in this place of solitude. I mean, there's many types, but three that today we're going to reference. Emptying prayer, which is essentially just casting your cares to the feet of Jesus. There's listening prayer. It's asking, Father, remind me who I am. What do you love about me? What about me makes you smile? And there's praying scripture, not studying it in depthly like at seminary, but an exchange on the word. Where it says, like, for example, the Lord is my shepherd. God, what does that mean that you are my shepherd? So Holy Spirit, I just say, come. Come and minister to your people in this space. We are hungry to hear from our Father to meet with you and to find you so that we might truly live. Yeah, if we get a ministry team come up and just uh, be along the sides, it'd be great. And we're going to respond with a song. 
and as we respond, just to invite you to continue to let this process take effect. Meet with the Lord in prayer and let the process happen. And we invite you to come forward. Um, these, these folks would love to pray with you. If you came with someone, you'd be more comfortable praying right at your seat or with those around you. That's totally cool, too. But allow this place of solitude. Let the Lord put his, his finger on what he wants you to step into. And let him remind you afresh of your conversion today, that his son has qualified you, and that you have access to a way of life to sustain you, strengthen you, and keep you in every season and through every storm. We thank you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.